This is Browns Digest. What's going on, Browns fans? Hope you guys are hungry. We are back for season two of the Browns Digest podcast, and it feels good to be back. Ten episodes for the first season of the podcast, and now we're starting off season two with a bang. The training camp for the Browns is right around the corner, and it's no better time to get into the schedule and talk about what the Browns need to do in order to find themselves in the AFC Championship this year. But before we get into all of that, make sure you guys go check out the season finale of season one as I went through detail with the Cincinnati Bengals offseason and free agency and the draft with all Bengals and uh, Locked On Bengals editor James Rapine. Make sure you guys go check that out. And today I have the first guest of season two, and it is Sports Illustrated's own Brandon Little, but it ain't nothing little about him. B. Little, what's happening? How you doing today? Hey, man, I'm doing pretty good. How you doing? I am doing wonderful. I'm just waiting for the Browns to get into the Super Bowl. Yeah, can't wait. Season can't come quick enough. <laughs> yes, sir. So speaking of the, of the season, the schedule released not too long ago, and this is going to be a different viewing experience for all fans alike. One, because we're going to a 17-game season, the Arizona Cardinals were added to the schedule this year. So instead of having 17 weeks of football, we're going to have 18. And in turn, there's only going to be three preseason games. So let's focus on the one area of the schedule that the Browns have seemed to fail to step up to the mark. It's either there's too much hype heading into the season, they're just not prepared enough, which was a situation last year due to COVID. And obviously we have a AFC championship potential preview in week one as the Browns travel to Arrowhead to face the Kansas City Chiefs Sunday afternoon on September 12th. What are your thoughts about this matchup? And are you potentially nervous that we're starting off with such a strong marquee matchup early in the season? Um, to begin the season, like I'm not really too worried about the results to begin the season. Kansas City is obviously a great team, and it's going to be a good measure to see where the Browns are at early on, how training camp worked out for them. Um, you can't really take too much away from that week one game because it's a longer season than there's ever been. And uh, week one, the Browns have their work cut out for them. I mean, yeah, um, for me, I'm kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum just because I look at it as this is an opportunity where you feel that you have the roster construction to make it to potentially a Super Bowl. I mean, that's what you're hearing from the media. That's what you're hearing from fans alike throughout Northeast Ohio. Of course, anyone within the organization itself, you want to eventually reach a Super Bowl, which the Browns haven't done yet. But I don't think that we can necessarily head into this season with the mindset of, well, it's a long season. And if we don't, come out of week one the way that we think we should, it's okay because we have 16 other opportunities to basically get it together, which obviously, you know, the long views is what you have to keep in mind. But for me, if you're going to consider yourself a top-notch team, there's no longer the excuse of, 
Well, now you have a new coaching staff. You had that situation where Freddie Kitchens was the head coach. They didn't win the game. You had it last year with Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry in their rookie seasons. Obviously, they finished the season 11-5, and which is great. But you got embarrassed by the Baltimore Ravens. And then I believe it was either two years ago, they tied with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And you break a streak of most season opener losses, but you didn't break it by winning a game. You broke it by tying a game. You can't only go so long with that consistent mantra of we're starting off behind and we have to play catch up. You've already played the Chiefs. Obviously, Chad Henney made a play that shouldn't happen in the first place that pretty much helped him seal the game away. But you have to move past that point. Now you're having the expectation that Patrick Holmes is going to play all four quarters. And now this is the perfect measuring stick of are you really a Super Bowl contender or pretender? And if you want to be a contender, you have to win this game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Cleveland comes out of that first week, wins that game. National media is going to be all over it. Um, they're going to be taken seriously, first and foremost. Last year, I mean, you could have excuses of Odell. You could have the excuses of first-time coach. All of those are out the window now, and it's time to perform. I mean, looking at the roster, it, it looks like a Super Bowl-talented roster, and there's just no more excuses for them there. Um, they win that first game, and they'll be talked about. They'll probably be one of the top three teams in the league when you look at power rankings and stuff. Um, I think the guys on the team know that how they are looked at. I mean, a lot of guys back, they want to build off of what happened last year and um, just become better. I mean, one playoff win, but you don't want to settle there. You want to win another playoff game, make a Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl. That's always the ultimate goal. Oh, for sure. So looking at the first quarter of the schedule, which is now kind of weird, and I would say that normally you have that situation of you basically break the schedule into four quarters. Now, I would say that final quarter is going to have really five matchups, especially given where their bye week lands. It's more ideal to put that fifth game now that you're at 17 compared to 16 in the final uh, quarter of the season, supposedly. So the next three games, you have the Houston Texans in week two and the Chicago Bears in back to back home games. And then you go back on the road for the Minnesota Vikings. And this is a, a, I feel like a good opportunity to, if you exit week one without a win, now you have pretty much two golden opportunities to fix what you believe was wrong or went wrong in that Kansas City Chiefs game and start to get the ball rolling as you get into tougher matchups. So when I look at the Houston Texans, given that they don't have their quarterback situation under control, who knows if Deshaun Watson's going to suit up this season. If he does, for how many games, uh, I doubt that he'll be there week two. Just because of how dirty they're doing him, in all honesty. Like, I know there's the lawsuits, but, you know, all these things are coming out with not really any hard details. So who knows who's going to be the starting quarterback in that situation. Then with the Chicago Bears, you have another quarterback competition where do we see Andy Dalton, the QB one, or do we see Justin Fields? And, you know, that could come down to how well he plays in training camp. But if there's a situation where he's playing week three, especially on the road, you feel extremely confident. Uh, we have a rookie coming, you know, into his 
potentially one of his first starts if he doesn't start the first couple of games of the season. And you go back on the road against Minnesota. And I think that's a good opportunity with this revamped Browns defense to see how stout they can be in the run game. Because I still believe that's one of the biggest question marks heading into the season is how's this defensive line going to perform? Yeah, for sure. When you start off with the Texans there, um, I mean, that team speaks for itself. It's a mess right now. And even if Watson plays, I mean, is his focus going to be on football? Um, you look past Watson, the team's just not very good. It looks like a JV Browns team at spots with all the former Browns players they have. Moving on to the Bears, I mean, I hope they're not dumb enough to start fields that early. But if Browns get a, a rookie quarterback in week three, with their defensive line at home, I I don't think that's a pretty game at all for the Bears. And then uh, the Vikings, that's that's gonna that game's gonna mean something to us, the fans. I mean, he came from there. That's that's really what built him. He spent I think it might have been eleven years with the franchise in total. Uh, that's a game he'll want to win. I mean, stopping Dalvin Cook, it's that's tough. He's versatile. He can do a lot of things. I don't think Kirk Cousins beats us. That's for sure. So looking at the defensive line, do you think, or let me ask you this, who do you think would need to make the biggest impact in terms of helping keep Dalvin Cook contained? Because it's obvious he's the main piece or main cog of their offense. I mean, Cook, he can bounce it outside, but I really want to see the interior of this Browns line, Billings, back, um, the signing of Jackson, I like that one. He, He can get after the quarterback as well. The interior of that Browns defensive line, if it's improved, you're possibly looking at one of the best units in the league. Yeah. Um, so, and there's players as well on the back end. You got Tommy Togiai, Malik McDowell, who could end up on the practice squad. But, you know, if he does play, looking at that rookie minicamp, I mean, the dude is huge. So you can definitely tell how he ended up being a, a former second round pick. And then, of course, um, Marvin Wilson from Florida State. So there's definitely plenty of bodies in terms of players that can come in and potentially make an impact. Uh, you have Jordan Elliott, who's returning for his sophomore campaign. There's plenty of players on the interior that have an opportunity to really make a name for themselves and solidify their part of the rotation. Because it's not just going to be a top two and then sparingly see everyone else. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a four to five man rotation at that defensive tackle spot one just to keep them fresh and to give different looks you know at the Vikings and potentially other teams like the next week where they go on a two-game road stretch in week five they go to SoFi and they face against the Los Angeles Chargers where Austin Eckler they like to definitely uh, you know run the ball there Uh, obviously Justin Herbert is great at throwing the ball that's going to be outside of the Kansas City Chiefs I would say one of the better opportunities to test his secondary given, you know, he won rookie of the year last year and he has so much talent throwing the football. I expect him to, you know, to really allow him to try to command the game and test his Brown secondary with it being new. So they'll really have, you know, four games under their belt heading into that game to really see what they're made of. And then you go back home against the Arizona Cardinals, which is the start of a three game home stretch where Kyler Murray, of course, is another player, former number one overall pick out of Oklahoma, just similar to Baker Mayfield, and he's going to be able to throw the ball. They did sign James Conner, but, you know, I, I don't really believe in James Conner that much to make that big of a difference. Then for the other two games, they have the Denver Broncos on Thursday night football 
and then the Pittsburgh Steelers for the first game on Halloween. Yeah, looking at the Chargers, um, Justin Herbert, he was he was terrific last year, and he's going to look to take a step forward, and that game's going to be a test for the Browns defensive backs. I mean, outside of, like you said, outside of Kansas City, that's their biggest test to start the year, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can step up to the plate for that one or not. When you move on to the Cardinals, um, I really look at Murray as like a, a lesser Lamar Jackson. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to test the Browns, his legs, and his arm. He's, he's an underrated passer, I think. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the Browns, like the players they picked up, Johnson, JOK, see if those kind of players can make an impact and stop him. Um, Kyler Murray. <clears throat> so uh, with the Denver Broncos, do you believe that's someone or a team that could potentially make a play at Aaron Rodgers? Or do you think this is a situation where we pretty much are going to see um, I believe they traded. They traded for Teddy Bridgewater, didn't they? Yes, they did. So, do you think it's going to be a situation where we still see Drew Locke, or do you think this could be a situation that Teddy Bridgewater is the starting quarterback under center come Week Seven? Um, when Drew Locke came out, I I thought he was decent. I I thought he could be something, but it's it's been a mess there, and he has not been good at all. Um, Aaron Rodgers, I think he stays put in Green Bay. It's just a lot of drama there, and it's nothing new, quite frankly. Um, the Brown, I mean, Browns will probably see Drew Locke, if I had to guess. I think they're going to give him one more go around. And if he's not the guy, Broncos will be drafting a quarterback early next. Oh, for sure. And then when you look at week eight, they have their first matchup against the Pittsburgh Steelers before they see them again on Monday Night Football, uh, week 17. And of those two matchups, I feel like the Browns are in a good position to potentially win both. There's that video at the start of, I believe it was OTAs for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and you see Ben Roethlisberger throwing a pass. And they like slightly zoomed in on his throwing motion, and you can kind of see his face cringe and creak a little bit as he's throwing the ball. And all I can think of, once it gets colder, and or if there's just a bad weather game, and that elbow gets cold and locked up, it's going to be a tough going from Ben Roethlisberger, especially with Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney coming off that edge. And you really don't know how their offensive line is going to perform, especially after the beating they got in the uh, playoffs. Yeah, with the shape that Roethlisberger is evidently in, well, obviously in, um, you won't hear the Steelers say it, obviously, but he's really a hard, cold hit away from being done with football. And for them not to share up the offensive line as much as they potentially could have, I think it's, we're going to really see that hurt them this year. And that game, the Steelers' offense doesn't scare me one bit. I'm not even sure the guy can throw it 30 yards downfield, but their defense is still talented, and it could be a grinded out AFC North game. I think that first game with the Steelers, we really see what kind of team they are, and we may see it before then with the record. For sure. So when you look at the next quarter, quote-unquote, for the schedule, you have the Cincinnati Bengals and the New England Patriots for a two-game road stretch. You come back home and you face Detroit on November 21st. And then you have your first matchup on Sunday night football against the Ravens. So now you have potentially up to 11 games um, of those games. The Cincinnati Bengals, I feel like even on the road, that's a game that you should win. The Detroit Lions, they do have Jared Goff, but there's a lot of dysfunction with that organization. They're changing coaching staffs. Who knows what they're going to look like? So that's potentially 
Um, I'm not just going to mark it off as an easy win, but it's a game that you should win given the climate of their franchise and potentially uh, how they should be playing, just having a complete makeover now moving on from Matthew Stafford. The Week 10 game, I feel like that's more of a toss-up. One, Bill Belichick always coaches well against the Browns for the most part. Obviously, there was those two situations where um, the Josh, when Josh Gordon was on the team, I believe they won one of those games. And then there was also that year where Peyton Hillis just ran all over the Patriots um, when he had, you know, that one year wonder. So that that might be a toss up. You know, who knows? There's some talk that they potentially could trade for Julio, give Cam Newton a target. I don't think it's going to be a situation where we see Mac Jones. There's no need to rush him. You have Cam Newton on a one year deal. They're probably going to take full advantage of that and then eventually give the reins to Mac Jones the following season. And then now you're looking at a situation of. If you're, if you're just looking at the schedule overall, if we're just talking about early, if you lose to the Chiefs week one, I would say potentially the only other games that you may drop, I would say would be maybe the Cardinals and potentially the Patriots. So you're heading into that what? Um, eight and three against the Baltimore Ravens, who's probably going to be somewhere around that same mark. Now it just adds more emphasis on the position of playing the Ravens. One, because it's your first real primetime game. I mean, Thursday night is primetime, but it's not the same as Sunday night football. And then you have a bye week, and then you play them again at home uh, week 14. So you basically have a three-week window where the Baltimore Ravens, this could potentially be that three-week window that determines where they fall in the playoff bracket. Yeah, so after that Chiefs game, I mean, I honestly could see the Browns rambling off six or seven straight wins. I mean, the schedule's pretty favorable, to be honest. Uh, The Bengals aren't a team I look past because the Browns' defense is a lot different than last year, but Burrow tore them up, and that offense only improved and added more weapons. Their uh, offensive line's a question mark, but they have some pieces if they can work out, and that's a game I'm really – wanting to see how our defense performs against Patriots. If, if we lose that game, I just plain and simply, I think we were out coached. I don't think there's another way you lose that the game and Alliance. I would mark that as a win of easy win. I mean, your starters probably shouldn't be playing the fourth quarter. And if it did, you're not playing well. Uh, to end November, you got the Ravens and first time out of three weeks there at the end of November into December. And, that first game, I could really see it going either way. You're on the road. I mean, if you lose it, you go into your bye week. Uh, you get them again December 12th, and you get another chance at them. <clears throat> and that, I think that three-week stretch, and I've said it on Twitter before, it's really going to tell the AFC North. I think it evident, evidently ends up coming down to the Ravens and Browns. For sure. I don't think that Steelers are going to be in the same position that they were last year. Yeah, they won the division, but they also started the season off 11-0, beating basically bad teams. And I definitely expect them to take a a step backwards, including the Ravens as well. Obviously, someone is going to have to hit that 11-12 win mark this season. Maybe you see a 13 win, given that it's 17 games now instead of 16. Um, and then I, I feel like that that 13 and four mark really comes down to 
either the Ravens or the Browns, and then that's going to be the person that wins the AFC North. Yeah, I agree for sure. 13 wins should win you the AFC North, and 14 wins will for sure. I mean, only losing three games, you're going to win your division nine times out of ten. Yeah, if the Browns it, can win 13 games, they will be in great shape. I mean, playoffs are a lock then. Yeah, and I think if you win 14, that, that puts you in a, in a good driver's seat to potentially win the AFC conference. Um, so that, that's def- definitely something that we're going to have to, you know, keep keep in mind. Because when, when you look at it, I still say the top four teams of the AFC is really the Chiefs, the Bills, the Ravens, and the Browns. And given that the Ravens are in our division, if you, let's say you, you beat the Steelers twice, you beat the Bengals twice, and you split with the Ravens, I mean, looking at the rest of the schedule, there's plenty of opportunities for you to still, you know, win the AFC as a whole, given how the Chiefs perform. You know, sometimes they don't perform as well against the Raiders, but you would need at least, I would say, probably the Chargers to steal a game from the Chiefs in order to set yourself up in a situation that you lose to the Chiefs or you end up splitting the game with the Steelers. Yeah, if you can sweep the Steelers and the Bengals, I mean... Just getting one against the Ravens would be huge. I feel more like we're more likely to lose a game to the Bengals than we are the Steelers. I mean, I, I, I like the Bengals roster. I mean, offensively, at least, it, it has some pieces to be really good in the future. For sure. So when you look at the f- final four games of the season, after you have that th- basically three-week stretch of the Baltimore Ravens, you have the Las Vegas Raiders, the Green Bay Packers, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and then you play the Cincinnati Bengals again. With that, I definitely want to see them play well against the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, this is a flex game where it could be played either on a Saturday or a Sunday, obviously depending on how the teams are performing. And I think also, too, the reason why you only see the Browns on currently scheduled three primetime games is for the past few years, They've given the Browns more primetime opportunities and they just really haven't stepped up. So I think now we're having less primetime games. It sort of gives the Browns the opportunity to kind of fly under the radar. Um, I mean, obviously, they keep winning games. That's just going to move them up to the power rankings. But now the I would say the status quo isn't as high because now you have a you have a lot of one o'clock games or, you know, you have that late afternoon game at four o'clock against some West coast teams. And you pretty much got to take advantage of those. And then if Aaron Rodgers is, you know, happy and healthy, that Christmas game um, on that Saturday against the Packers one on the road, I think depending on how the Ravens play and say, if you go through a stretch where you lose back-to-back games, maybe against like the Bengals or the Patriots, you just have two tough road losses. That game now becomes even more important because later down the line, that could be maybe AFC wild card type territory where you have to win, you know, two of your last three or win out to get to that, I would say, 11 win mark. Because I, I don't think you can win 10 games in the AFC and make the wild card, given how other teams improve, especially with the Chargers after they, how they improved in free agency in the draft. Yeah, for sure. With the expanded um, schedule, I don't see a 10-win 10 10 win team getting into the playoffs. 
And going back to the time slots, I'd rather see the Browns play at one o'clock, 10 out of 10 times, win early, take care of business. But if the Browns are as successful as we as we think they can be, we're going to see some games go in the primetime slots. And the Steelers game at the end of the year, it's I think it's Monday night. Yes. It's by that time, it may not be a Monday night game, just depending on if, if they're a bad team like many think that they could be. Yeah, for sure. And then that last game back at home against the Cincinnati Bengals, I would say is kind of a revenge game from two years ago after the Browns uh, lost the last game of the season with uh, everything but Freddie in the kitchen sink. Uh, <laughs> we lost that that final game. So that's definitely something that you want to see them win. Or potentially if you're in a situation where you've already entered the week around 13 wins and you've locked up say the number two seed or the number three seed, that would probably be a situation now where you can rest some starters at home, um, which is, you know, always a good thing. And then of course, prepare for the playoffs now that only the number one seed gets a rest uh, heading into the playoffs. So just initial thoughts on the 17 game schedule. What's your predictions of where you think the Browns will, will land in terms of record? Uh, I have the Browns at 12 and five right now that that could change barring, Hate to say it, but any freak injuries during training camp, I mean, you've seen it before. And your best case scenario is that last week against the Bengals, you're resting your players, getting ready for the playoffs. A 18-week schedule is a meat grinder, and it's not going to be easy on anyone. For sure. So looking at the Browns roster as we're heading into training camp, first we had to get rookie mini camp, which is a nice change compared to last year. Obviously, the COVID environment they had pretty much a all virtual off season. Now we get back into a situation where we have pictures of Kevin Stefanski without a mask on the actual practice field, which is pretty cool. So we saw on breaking um, breaking down the Browns, the opportunity to see the rookies get that one on one coaching. And I feel one of the players that benefited the most from this is definitely James Hudson and that one on one work he got with Bill Callahan. Yeah, and that's what stood out to me the most. I mean, that's just stuff you dream about as a player, being able to have one-on-one time with a coach like that. I mean, Callahan's focused on him the whole time, and you've seen that on building the Browns. And a player like Hudson, that's going to mean a lot for him down the road. For sure. And so in in terms of like his his, um, snap count back in college, he only really played one year, um, you know, at that position. And he didn't allow any sacks. I think it, he only allowed six hurries and maybe like 600 passing snaps or something like that, which was uh, really good. Um, when you just look at him as a player, you're just hoping that this is someone, you know, obviously given the right coaching, having Bill Callahan, you feel confident with that, especially with the work he did with Dredrick Wills last year, switching from right tackle to, to protecting Baker Mayfield's blind side and hoping this is someone that could potentially – grow into a swing tackle because down the line you're going to have to have someone replace Chris Hubbard potentially next year and if he shows enough you could feel confident with him stepping into that role and then obviously depending on Jack Conklin and the money that he could you know command or potentially his play if they decide to move on from him after you know year three you now have someone in the range to take that right tackle position. And I think that's a best case scenario for James Hudson, especially taking him in the fourth round. Yeah. Some people were questioning the pick of Hudson. I was 
one of them at first, but as I looked at it more, the Browns obviously had a plan and Andrew Barry's given no reason to doubt him. And this could have been, this could have been a coaching staff pick, honestly. And Hudson, if he's, if he takes over for Hubbard, great. But if, I mean, if he takes over for Conklin, even better. Um, he's a guy that's going to sit a year, maybe two. Uh, underneath the coaching staff, he'll put in the work and we'll see what we have with him. So in terms of the uh, other rookies that went into minicamp, uh, you have JOK, um, Tony Fields. He obviously didn't get to participate because I believe it was a, a ankle injury. Um, Greg Newsom. Were there any other rookies that really stood out to you in terms of, I believe this player is going to be able to contribute early into the season? Um, rookie camp, how it's set up this year is just, I'm not sure how much you can take away from it, but the social media team of the Browns, at least the pictures they showed of JOK and stuff, he looks like an athlete out there. And I think he's going to do something. I'm just, we all question his role and what exactly he's going to do, but I think he's going to find a way to make plays and he could be our most impactful rookie from this class. Um, could be Newsome. We'll see what happens between him and Greedy in that battle and the best man will win that. Oh, for sure. And one of the biggest things I really took from the rookie minicamp on um, building the Browns was that virtual rookie success program they had. And the impact of Ron Brewer, uh, he's the director of player engagement, I think it's huge. Uh, Anthony Schwartz had a, had a snippet where he talked about him and how he was always asking him questions. And just the way that he talked to the media in terms of the players and how they held that uh, virtual uh, rookie sh uh, success program was really making everything simpler for them. And I think that's really the biggest thing for a rookie, you know, coming from college, going to the NFL, what's the best way that I can simplify my processes? You know, obviously you have veteran players that you can talk to that can tell you, here are some tips of how to prepare for games. Here are some tips about how I watch film. But mentally, in terms of getting around the facility, how to set myself up with success, I have these questions. Who do I direct myself towards to ask these questions? And am I getting the really the right answers? And I think that Ron Brewer uh, really disseminated that information perfectly in terms of this is what you guys need. And I'm going to do everything possible to make sure that you have that. And I believe that asset that he provides to the franchise as a whole is something that can be utilized all season. Because what if there's a situation where, you know, you're either struggling with the processes of making it through your week and not and you're feeling slightly overwhelmed with everything compared to how your college program ran it. And now you have to run it as a professional. How can Ron Brewer and the organization help you with that? And it's very nice to have a dedicated person to help with those processes. Yeah, Brewer really stood out to me. That, that, that was pretty neat. And I hope all teams have someone like him. Um, going from college to pros, that has to be overwhelming. Um, not just football. I mean, the contracts these guys are signing, their life has changed. And that's the most money they're going to be handling. And smart choices have to come with that. And I think this really shows the Browns care about their players, as every team should. And that's more than football. And Brewer's going to help them get acclimated, whether it's financially or getting used to NFL schedule, being a professional. I think this really helps the guys go towards that goal of success and being a pro. For sure. 
So one of the quotes that also stuck out to me from that episode was Kevin Stefanski's one-on-one time with Anthony Schwartz. And he talked about, see, make sure you pay attention to this. And then also he was working with uh, the passing game and receivers coach Chad O'Shea talking about being able to control that speed and when to go to third gear or when to go to fifth gear or when to switch. And that really made me think about what potentially could be the role for Anthony Schwartz within his offense. And, and what do you think it might be? Um, Anthony Schwartz, I think that's a fancy pick, to be honest. He's creative. In the, on the building the Browns, you've really seen he paid attention to Schwartz and he said a few things. I think Schwartz's role to begin the, to begin the season, it may be a decoy. It may just be putting him out there to make the defense account for him because you're going to have to account for a guy – with his speed, because you can't teach that speed and you're going to get hurt by it if you don't account for it. Um, his role in the beginning, the Browns may just get him in space, get him the ball, see if he can hit the home run. If not, that's fine. He's a he's a raw talent. It's going to take some time to really build his route tree and all of that. But I, th- I think the Browns could have something there if it works out. Yeah, I think that he'll be a good gadget player in terms of what he can provide to the offense. And one of the things, too, that they actually could borrow from the Chiefs is the way how they utilize pre-snap movement when you have someone just motioning across the formation and it just gives that slight hesitation for a player on the back end. Now, we've seen it happen with success, even with Kadero Hodge last season off that play action if you get a situation where the safety's eyes is on shorts moving across the formation now who's ever that back end deep threat gives baker mayfield potentially a bigger window if that safety now hesitates because he's misreading where the actual play is going and stefanski did a great job of using misdirection on those play action deep passes potentially something that i think will really be a factor in Anthony Schwartz and his ability to develop as a contributor in year one is really going to be his snap count. You know, he's not going to be a player that's going to be playing 40 snaps a game. If he's somewhere in between, I would say 10 to 12, and then later in the season, maybe 15, depending on how he's playing, obviously it could be a situation where, you know, they put him in the 10 to 12 snaps towards the middle of the season. If they're not seeing the progression they want, they obviously can lower that and put in, you know, more trusted players. But now you can really use him as a player against different opponents. So when I look at the Baltimore Ravens week 12 and week 14, that's plenty of time for him to learn the ins and outs of the NFL before giving you know a significant role. Because when you look at the Baltimore Ravens, they're a blitz-heavy team, and they like to blitz using their safeties. And a good counter to any team that blitzes is throwing wide receiver screens. And if he's a player that's not developed that much in terms of his route running nuance, why not throw him a screen? That's one of the reasons why his numbers in college looked a little bit different in 2020 versus 2019 because of the way they changed him in that Auburn offense and really utilizing screens, uh, jet sweeps, uh, motions. And if you can do that, that could be a potentially a good counter against the Ravens. Bill Belichick likes to blitz with his defensive backs, uh, potentially the Lions. Um, The Cincinnati Bengals, they really want to get pressure with their front four. But I think he can be a really good player if you have him on the right snap count and then using him in the way 
where he's not just strictly a vertical threat, but someone that makes more plays in space and you specifically scheme that up based on your opponent. Like you said, I, I like the thought of him moving around because last year after Beckham went down, there was really no one. The Browns are moving around the scared of defense. I mean, Landry, his speeds doesn't scare a de- defense. Higgins, he doesn't scare a defense. Schwartz is that guy you're going to have to account for and you're going to have to know where he is. And if his route tree is not great, Stefanski is creative. He's going to find a way to get him the ball, whether it's a screen, like you said, or just a quick slant, look to hit, look to hit the home run. And I will also say for fans out there that are trying to figure out a way to understand what Anthony Schwartz's role could be in the offense next season, go back to any training camp videos that you can find on Twitter or YouTube and look at how Stefanski tried to l- utilize JoJo Natson um, and throughout training camp and then also in week one before he got injured. That's really going to be the biggest thing because JoJo Natson is super slight. I think he's only like 5'9 or 5'8, or really small guy, but he's electric. Um, and when you also listen to that, going right back to building the Browns, which is so great about that, that you get player profiles, uh, Demetric Felton, talked about how he watched tape of Tavon Austin pretty much obviously in terms of their athletic ability and their traits are a little bit different, but don't be surprised if they utilize Demetric Felton and Anthony Schwartz in the same way outside of the vertical presence that Schwartz brings. But in terms of being a gadget player that you use in terms of attacking a defense in a very specific way. Yeah, and I, I like the versatility of both players. It's, it's going to give you the ability to do a lot of different things. Um, Felton, I mean, he's a running back slash receiver. He's a Kareem Hunt-like. I mean, he could eventually take over him. There's been some talk of that. And um, obviously, he'd be a cheaper option for a few years. And he's an intriguing guy. I mean, we haven't been able to see much of him yet. I mean, his college tape stands out. He could do a lot of different things, and he makes plays. And I believe that... Mike Prefer was one of the nods for drafting him in in the sixth round just because of his potential value as a returner. And I think if any rookie outside of obviously Greg Newsom and JLK, if there's any rookie, especially a late round pick that can have an impact this season, I think it's going to be Demetric Felton because of his special teams value, whether it be him being a gunner or in the return game, the the kick return game, you want to see him come up and really make a big play. I think that's really going to be the biggest thing, uh, you know, for Felton and his ability to contribute early on and throughout the season as a rookie. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for Felton is first is just beating out Deanna Johnson. I mean, I don't think the Browns keep more than three running backs unless they view Felton as a receiver, which I just – don't think it is and um uh, that's his that's his first thing is beating out the Ernest Johnson and I don't think that's going to be easy I really liked the what we've seen from the Ernest Johnson at times uh what what game was that I mean Cowboys Cowboys that's where he yeah. last the game that and the Colts was really his two biggest biggest moments yeah he, he looked solid and like he was give him a few touches a game and he did something with him and, and I know a lot of people say that Felton's biggest opportunity to making the roster is to beat out Dearness Johnson. And I also wouldn't be surprised if they do keep four running backs 
just because when you really look at Felton and how he was utilized in college, he does have good patience as a running back, but he definitely seems more comfortable as someone catching passes out of the backfield. And yes, you do have Kareem Hunt, but if you're in a situation just like you were last year, if Nick Chubb goes down, obviously knock on wood, you feel a little bit more confident having Dearness Johnson as that number two running back because he's at least shown you if given the opportunity, he can he can make some plays because he he's shown the ability to be a physical runner versus Demetric Felton. He's more of that gadget running back than a pure running back. If you have to rely on someone to, you know, close out a game. Yeah, I couldn't agree more if Chubb somehow goes down, which that'd be a season turning injury. Um, you lean more on Johnson because his his yards per carry wasn't great. And I'd rather him, honestly, catching the ball. That's where he's been best at for the Browns. He won a rushing title in Kansas City, but he just hasn't been that type of runner here. Yeah, and, and I think, too, that's also just a reflection of the team's evaluation of Kareem Hunt. I do believe him as a runner. Um, he, he definitely runs with some tenacity. That's what I really liked about him last year. Like he gave defenses a different look compared to that power speed combination that Nick Chubb offers you where he's a little bit more finesse, but he, he finishes runs with some punch, which is really nice. Um, and then just in terms of catching the ball, one of the biggest names that's been on the rumor mill, uh, Shannon Sharp obviously gave him a call. I'm in the boat of that Julio knew that he was on the show just because you've always seen the support that Shannon Sharp has showed players throughout the years, um, rather if they're visiting them or just talking about them in the media. I don't think he was put Julio in a situation of let me give him a call and he's he doesn't know that I'm on air. Um, I, I just don't think that's the situation. Obviously, uh, the Dallas Cowboys wasn't the place that he would want to go. I mean, they have tons of weapons, but I just think that was ironic that the fan happened to see him with that Cowboys hoodie on. But do you think there is a legitimate possibility that the Browns could trade for Julio Jones? Could they? Yes, I think they could make it work. I mean, they have a lot of money already invested in the wide receiver position. But unloading that Jarvis contract, it's doable. It can happen. And that's that's what you would have to do to bring in a player like Julio. And Shannon Sharp, I, I believe Julio knew he was on air. I mean, Sharp was a pro himself. He wouldn't throw a guy under the bus like that. For but sure. do the Browns do the Browns get Julio? I don't think they do. I mean, I don't even think they're. I think they're in play. Like it makes a little bit of sense, but I don't, don't see them actually pulling that trigger unless it's something out of left field. Andrew Barry surprises us. I mean, it adds. It can't even be talked about how enough. Like what it would add to this team, he would instantly be our number one and. It would take some of that pressure off Odell being that number one that he's never really been in Cleveland. For sure. And when you look at just the situation of potentially adding him, the biggest thing is that you have to talk about outside of the contract is the compensation. So when you look at what the Falcons are asking for, they're asking for a first round pick and then preferably a non-NFC team. Uh, and if the situation that he does get traded, I believe it'll be to the AFC. Um, that's, you know, the most generally the most ideal situation. You look at Jalen Ramsey, 
and wanting to get off the the Jacksonville Jaguars, they end up trading him to the Los Angeles Rams, who are an NFC team. And generally, you just feel more comfortable trading him outside of the conference because you have to be exposed to him less. But with that, in the situation that they do trade for him, I think it's a lot more doable than people really think. One, because it now sets you up in a situation where you already know you're going to move off of potentially Jarvis Landry or Odo Beckham next season just because you want less money committed to the wide receiver group that you can now hand out to Nick Chubb, Baker Mayfield, Denzel Ward, and potentially any other players that you know may help you. Uh, maybe in Jadavian Clowney, if it fits super well, you're going to have to give him some more money. So when you look at that situation, if you do trade for Julio Jones, I believe that person would be Jarvis Landry. One, because their contract situations are almost similar and not in terms of the guaranteed money or the dead money. Obviously, there's a lot less dead money on Jarvis Landry's deal and Odo Beckham, which no money's guaranteed after next season. But it now puts you in a situation where you have an answer for two years at wide receiver. And then in 2023, you can get out of that situation, you know, of Julio Jones's contract with a minimal dead cap hit. And potentially there's a situation of if you need to rework that deal, which we've seen Andrew Barry do, you can void some of that money and put it into later years where you don't have such a big, you know, dead cap hit, you know, next year or big cap hit next year or dead cap the following year. And it sets you up at least for 2021 and 2022, where you have a running mate next to Odell Beckham. And I think if you have Odell Beckham and Julio Jones for two years, there's no reason why Baker Mayfield shouldn't flourish. And you feel even more confident handing him out that big money contract that many people expect him to get. And then it also would play out through that fifth year option as well. Yeah, I think if you have a Julio and Beckham, you're one and two. The offense right now is, I believe it's built around Nick Chubb and it goes as Nick Chubb goes. You get those two players, I think you go to more of a, offense or centered around the pass. I mean, those guys are going to make plays and they're going to get targets and Baker's going to throw the ball a lot. Um, going back to compensation, I don't think it's, I think the Falcons could get a first and I don't see a problem with the team giving up one. Do I want the Browns to do that? No. If the Browns were hurting for a playmaker like Julio, then yes. But right now I'd probably give them a second and a fifth, something around there. Well, with the situation of them trading for Julio, I think the whole talk of them wanting a first round pick goes out of the window because the Browns aren't in a situation where you keep both Odell and Jarvis. It's one of the two. And when you're basically getting an all pro receiver in return, you're giving a pro bowl receiver. The most I'm giving up, I mean, the absolute most is a third round pick. Um, I mean, if, if I'm in a situation where maybe they're not as comfortable with taking Jarvis Landry in a fourth round pick. Then I give up a third. But if you're moving off of Odell, you're getting Odell in the fourth and I'm not moving off of that because when healthy, Odell's a bona fide number one receiver. And the Falcons, given their situation that you're not really going to be competing that much, you just added Cal Pitts. Calvin Ridley's really a 1B, 1A situation with Julio so you're not really missing too much and it would be more ideal to add Jarvis Landry because now you have that slot option and you have two players that can work in the intermediate parts of the field and 
even with Kyle Pitts, he's such a great athlete. You have no problem sending him vertically because you know he can make plays down the scene. Yeah, Pitts, I think Julio's moved. Pitts is that guy for them. His rookie year, as a matter of fact. Uh, the Falcons getting Jarvis, I don't think that happens. They're not going to want to pay that, him that. I mean, they know what he's capable of, and he's. I don't think he's worth that money. Um, a third, that's fair, I believe. The Browns are a team that doesn't have to trade for Julio. There's teams out there that could use him way more and will give up more. What team do you think um, at the end of this whole Julio situation ends up with him? That's tough. I haven't thought about it too much. I mean, teams like the 49ers or something. I mean, a team that could use just a star receiver and it really take them to the next level. Yeah, for me, I would say the New England Patriots might be that 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 player just because one bill belichick ability to hit on receivers has been so poor and you've already spent all this money in free agency and let's just say in the situation they suck they they barely go 500 or they go under 500 you probably don't see a situation where bill belichick is playing for you know too much longer and brady's already won a ring so i feel like the argument of is it was it brady was it belichick we pretty much all knew it was Tom Brady, and he cemented <laughs> that last year when he won a Super Bowl with the Buccaneers. So if you're going all in for pretty much a two-year window, you might as well go ahead and get Julio. You give Cam a big weapon. And then worst-case scenario, if you don't perform that well, you give one last shot. Mac Jones, he sits for a year behind Cam Newton, and you give it one last hurrah, and you just hope he's a second-year player that can come in with potentially a good defense and enough offensive weapons around him and you, you can do something. Obviously, the running back room is questionable. You don't know what Sony Michelle is going to do or or Damian uh, Williams, I think his last name is. But they added some nice tight end options. They added John New Smith and Hunter Henry. And their receiver room really just needs a marquee number one. And that's Julio Jones. So why not? Yeah, I could I could honestly see that after thinking about it a little bit. Um, Belichick's not a guy that's going to be playing for his job. He's just been there too long. When he's ready to hang it up, that's when he will go. And trading for a player like Julio, the fans are going to like it. It's going to get people excited. If it works out, helps the team win a few games, great. If it doesn't, I mean, that's probably the point that Belichick decides to hang it up. For sure. So hot takes are always the thing that sells newspapers. But who buys a newspaper in 2021 unless you're in New York or you work downtown? What's your hot take of the season? Your your hottest one. I'm talking um, about sizzling. You go to Applebee's and you see that plate coming out. You're like, man, that smells good. Then you realize you're still in the Applebee's and it's not that good. I have to go with David Njoku as the Browns' best tight end next year. And Hooper just doesn't work out in Cleveland. Um, just Njoku, there were trade rumors back then, and he shut him down himself. And he seems like he wants to be great in Cleveland. And he wants to get paid, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean – be the best you can be and settle for nothing less. I think Najoku can, the talent has always been there. He's had the injuries, coaching staff and him didn't work out well, but I think this could be a year where he's very good. Sheesh, man. I say hot take. You went spicy on me, but I like, I like <laughs> that. I like that. Um, I'm a big fan of David Najoku. Um, I know some people, you know, hate on him after the trade rumors, but, I mean, what else would, were you supposed to expect? 
they signed Austin Hooper and then they drafted Harrison Bryant and you want to get paid, uh, bro, where's where's my touches at? I know yeah, you're you can't f- be mad at the guy. Exactly. That's that's like if you're playing on a basketball team and you got three other or two other guys that were just signed to the roster and they played the exact same position as you, you're going to lose minutes or you're going to lose snaps. You know, obviously you, you want to play as much as possible, especially that you were going into a quote unquote contract year. Yes, they have the fifth year option, which they exercise this year, but you, you want to get paid at the end of the day. The NFL players, their shelf life is lower than any other professional sport. So when you get the opportunity to get paid, you got to take it. And if you can do that with the Browns, you feel even better. Um, and also, when you look at what Austin Hooper did, he didn't play the greatest. So in a situation that he plays well, now you're in a situation that you can move off of Austin Hooper. And then now you have David Njoku and Harrison Bryant as your two. Because um, when you really look at well, it's going to be kind of tough to move off of him um, next year just because the, the, I mean, his dead cap is, is, is so much. So you pretty much expect him to play at least three years out. But if he plays well, do they have enough money to even keep him is now the question. Yeah, um, I don't think Browns can give them a big money con- contract unless you some he'd have to earn it first of all. And then Hooper, you'd have to find a way to move him. You're not going to give two tight ends big contracts. And going back to Najoku wanting to stay in Cleveland now, I think I think that's the Browns and him. I think it's worked out, and Browns have a plan for him and hope to put it to work. I love it. So let's let let's see the man the. Uh... The 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 gold the gold headed dread king, um his his hair always just I I guess really the best way I can say is baffles me like how half of his head is natural black but the other half is dyed blonde. Uh, I mean I've seen the blonde tips with the dreads but I've never seen one half of your head so <laughs> let's let's see how Najoku performs. We know Pete likes him as a tight end. Uh, there's been a previous episode from season one where he talks about that that AFC playoff game against the Chiefs where he jumps and his feet is almost level with the Chiefs defender's head. So, I mean, the guy has talent, um, and we just want to see all the players along the Browns roster perform at the highest level so we can eventually find ourselves in the AFC championship, winning that game and going into the Super Bowl. So, uh, Brandon, I want to thank you for joining me for the first episode of season two. Um, is there anything that you would like the friends to be on lookout for in terms of any of your content on the Sports Illustrated Browns Digest website? I would say just keep following us along at Browns Digest. I, I think we put out a lot of great stuff and can't wait for the season to get here. Yes, sir. So again, I want to thank you guys all for joining us for the first episode of season two. Just like always, The podcast is available on your favorite audio streaming platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Make sure you guys give us a follow. Our Twitter information is going to be in the show image. Thank you so much, and we will see you next time.